Welcome to the second Christmas episode of The Will and Rob Show. I am Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry State, here with my good friend Robert Hassler, Director of Communications for Ministry State. And in a few minutes, you will get to understand why exactly he is the Director of Communications, as his speech is eloquent, his words are well chosen, uh, his thoughts are precise. It is all the things we would look for in a Director of Communications. But this week, uh, to follow on the heels of last year, we're going to talk a little bit more about Christmas season. Last week, uh, we talked about Advent and different trends we were seeing around the Advent season. And then this week, we wanted to look at, uh, well, I guess the Christmas wars, the great Christmas wars that have been going on. Um, and actually, so- For a long time now, these, it feels like. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, they go way back. <laughs> back but before we get in, Robert, how have you been? Oh man, I've been good. Uh, I, uh, I'm really excited because, or I should say, uh, it, it was a good week because uh, Sunday obviously was the second Sunday of Advent. It was also the first time our church sang a Christmas song. So it was uh, good to kind of get into the spirit of things um, this time around uh, and sing some Christmas hymns. And which Christmas song did you guys sing? We sang Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, which is, a very, which is one of my favorites, which we'll get into a lot later, I'm sure on this episode, but, um, yeah, things are going well. Uh, I'm in the last push of the semester trying to get a last, uh, 10 page paper in. And then once I'm done, I can wipe my hands of this semester and have a nice long Christmas break. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And you, uh, you're doing a paper on Christian freedom, right? I am. I tweeted last night. I said, uh, only a 10 page paper on Galatians five stands between me and freedom. Like, like, come on guys, you get it. That's very was, good. I got, I got a, that's a pretty good dad joke. I got some good response for that. So I feel good about it. Good dad joke. What, what we wanted to talk about were uh, the Christmas wars that we've been seeing or the war on Christmas or the Christmas controversies that have been circulating. I think, uh, you know, in some ways there's something serious here to talk about. There are some serious uh, uh, circumstances that have happened. However, I think that they're couched in a broader social phenomenon, not unique to Christmas. Uh, and then it also, there's, there's somewhat of almost a paranoia, a little bit of a finding a devil under every stone type of thing. In fact, my brother and I will joke pretty much every Christmas uh, that one of us goes to Starbucks, we'll send a picture of like, you know, an advent um, like candy calendar that they'll have or something and be like the war on Christmas is back. And so <laughs> just send it to each other. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts. Let, lead, lead me in here. Yeah, well, I mean, it was Donald Trump, right, who um, – I can't remember if it was, like, during the primaries or if it was on the campaign trail, like, after he had won the, pri- the Republican primary. I mean, he said something about uh, to the effect that, like, if, if he was president, we would say Merry Christmas again. Like, I remember that, like, a big thing. And I, and I saw a good joke by somebody that was, like, after the election, like, immediately after Joe Biden was elected, somebody was like, oh, I got to go back to saying Happy Holidays again. It's like that there's that kind of element of the war on Christmas, right? Where it it's couched within this really cultural uh culture war sort of mentality. Um that it's like us versus the libs and you know they they want your kids to not sing Christmas songs in your uh at your public school performances instead they're going to sing like Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever so winter solstice songs. 
I, I know that was another big thing uh, that I remember people being upset about. Um, obviously the Starbucks cup controversy, which actually wasn't a thing. Um, I remember that also being a big issue. So that, that's hilarious that you and your brother do that. I do the same thing with my friends. So, um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and then, uh, you have the, you know, the Obamas for eight years straight refused to put Merry Christmas in their Christmas cards. Although Barack Obama did say Merry Christmas in person. Um, and, and I'm sure that there are multiple reasons for that. But uh, but what's, what's interesting, though, is that it's created a backlash where it's like, oh, you want to own the libs? Like, say Merry Christmas. And so it's like become this thing now that's like a signal of the culture war. It like tells you what side you're on. And it, it's kind of been met with a somewhat equal and opposite reaction from the other side, right? Like going out of your way to say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas. I think is like, if I say, you know, Merry Christmas to somebody at the store, like I've gotten this sort of like pause, hesitation, happy holidays, even though it was like me, the one that initiated the, the greeting, you know? Um, and, and I don't know what to make of that. Maybe I'm in the wrong. I don't know. It's just, it's a very interesting phenomena. Well, as with, uh, last week when we were talking about, um, when do you start putting up Christmas decorations and when can you play Christmas music? So when is the appropriate time? I, I love saying Merry Christmas. I love saying Merry Christmas. The, the, after the Thanksgiving meal on Thursday, I think is when people should start saying Merry Christmas to other people and shouldn't stop until maybe epiphany for that matter (laughs) should keep saying it. But I have noticed in some places where I'll go to like Trader Joe's or a store and I'll say Merry Christmas. And there's this hesitancy. There's not even like a a nothing and there's not even a happy holidays. There's like a, I feel like they've gotten a memo from management and this is all conjecture of course, but it's like they've gotten a memo from management saying, do not say Merry Christmas. And, but it's like, well, I didn't initiate the Merry Christmas, so am I allowed to reciprocate it? And then there are other times where people do say, but there does, uh, and maybe maybe I am thinking too much in this, you know, maybe it's my own projection, but it does seem that there is this reluctance and fear to just flat out say Merry Christmas for some kind of backlash. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, we're speaking within a very unique context on the East Coast in a predominantly um, secularized and liberal city. I, I don't experience the same when I go home to Texas. I mean, everyone says Merry Christmas. It's just, it's an interesting thing because regardless of that debate about, can you say Merry Christmas? Do you say Happy Holidays and stuff, blah, blah, Our culture is predominantly oriented towards Christmas. I mean, stores put up Christmas lights. They put up, you know, employees wear Santa hats. It's everything's in red and green. You know, like that's, that's Christmas, whether that's a, a cultural or a commercial sense, but it's still Christmas, right? And so we haven't sort of like come up with a different, like we don't have like a festivist, like we don't have a sort of made up holiday that we've created that the entire culture partakes in. And then we sort of segment off based on our religions. We still are predominantly and culturally oriented towards Christmas. It's just, it's interesting. Like if you go to a store, everyone's wearing Santa hats, you know, people will wear like the, like, I'm thinking of like in uh, Elf when uh, Buddy uh, is at the Macy's or the department store and, you know, they're all dressed as elves and stuff. Like that happens at other that stores I've been at too. Everything's in green and red, but you're like, can I say Christmas or not? Can I say Merry Christmas or not? It's like, well, 
everything around us suggests that everyone is celebrating this cultural thing, Christmas, but we don't feel confident in saying and acknowledging it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, so my question for you is what are some, now that we've kind of introduced this, talked about what's going on, what are some areas where there is a legitimate, not just hesitancy to say Merry Christmas, but a, a, and a desire for quote unquote pluralism or tolerance to to turn it into a winter holiday instead of actually Christmas. Where oh. are there, and we'll talk about possible reasons for that and, and maybe illegitimate ones as well. But first of all, what, what are some legitimate uh, ways this happens and why do you think that is? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, I will say this. One thing that I have noticed, I started noticing it probably two Christmases ago and I've definitely noticed it this this year round. Like your local Christmas music station, like I, I, if you could chart it on a graph, I would not be surprised at all if you found out that like sort of traditional Christmas hymns slash let's call it like oldie classic Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra Christmas music is going down. And like the amount of sort of 80s secularized Christmas songs is going up. Like I, I remember when like when they would play Wham on the Christmas station is sort of like to be funny and you would get it like once in a blue moon. And now it's like every third song. It's like it's it has like almost replaced Mariah Carey's uh, All I Want for Christmas is You sort of uh, on the playlist. I hear a lot of I hear a lot of John Lennon's uh, Christmas songs. Why uh, a and, sad song? It's so I know. Sad. And then uh, I, is it Paul McCartney or the Wings? I don't, I don't know which one it is. I think he's got one that they play a lot too. It's just, you know, I've noticed that sort of phenomena and I have to believe that that's, that's orchestrated. That's per, you know, purposeful. Um, those, those songs appeal to a wider group of Christmas celebrators, if you want to say it that way. Well, um, yeah. And I, on, in line with that, if I go to Spotify and want some Christmas music, you know, it has the Christmas playlist section to actually get to a place where there are classic Christmas carols and Christmas hymns. I have to dig so far to find them. And it is, it is very difficult. It is clear that there is uh, a prioritization of non Christian explicit Christmas quote unquote uh, music in places For like sure. that, which is kind of like on the radio station. For sure. I mean, I think generally speaking, it has to do with the increasing, I mean, this is not new, but the increasing weight we put on the commercialization of Christmas, of turning it into really not just a, not a celebration of- We'll get uh, to this. Incarnate. We'll get to this. Hold on. I want to cut you off there because we'll get okay, to that okay, in a okay. second. Okay. But I, I want to also look at, uh, do you think there is a context in which- the the cutting out the Christ out of Christmas, uh, that, that in which it has been allowed to take place. Well, like, help me out here. So, what what are you thinking of? Well, I mean, I I would say this: like, it's it's no doubt true that um, that secularization is a trend in America. Secularism, although it's a myth, is the is thought that is the only way that a society can function in a pluralistic way. Um, that there are a lot of people who are afraid of 
mentioning Christianity because they have this idea that the history of Christianity is full of bigotry and oppression and violence and tyranny. And so to bring up Christmas and the Christian celebration of Christmas is to, uh, to invoke these specters of violence that people don't want to be associated with. Um, I think those things kind of come together and say, hey, we can make everybody happier if we just have this a religious, not respecting any religion in particular, but just kind of, you know, this neutered form of celebration that, that can make possibly everybody happy. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. And I mean, it, 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 comes, it goes hand in hand with our, let's just call it modern uh, conception of separation of church and state, or if you want to do private public spheres or secular uh, sacred spheres, right? Like it's not just that we, we, we no longer believe that, hey, this is the public space. And so everyone is welcome to bring their thing here. And so, you know, if Christians want to bring their, Christ, their traditional Christmas carols into this public space, whether that's Spotify or the, the market or uh, local town programming at like your Christmas festival or winter holiday festival, excuse me, that's what they're mostly called now. But like that, it used to be like, okay, that's, that's part of what being in a pluralistic society is, is that we're confronted with all these competing uh, ideas and, and even religions. And I think now we very much have taken a more modern understanding of saying, no, the separation of states means you don't bring those things here. This is what we're, what you just said, like this neutered space where everything is uh, a religious, it's secular. We don't talk about those things. What ends up actually happening in practice though, is that the public space can't actually operate that way. And so the public space is going to be animated by somebody's virtue it's just going to depend on on who's and so is at least from what i can tell it's you know the neutering that's happening in the public space is not a uh we want to get rid of every uh religion or every uh creed but just the ones in particular that we don't really like anymore or that we find problematic yeah and i think one of the ways where there is not a war on christmas is uh the truth is there's a great scene in Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie, where the Hollywood producer brings in the Orthodox Jew, the uh, Ortho Greek Orthodox Christian, the Protestant, and the Roman Catholic, and they're having a conversation. And he says he brings them in there because they represent every faith and creed in America. So it's just, you know, joke that in that time period, it was thought that there were only really Jews and Christians in America. And that was really all that, all that there was. Well, the truth is that there are a host of different um, religious beliefs represented in America. And uh, John Anazu does a really helpful job, I think, in his book, Confident Pluralism. Um, and I would say as America has become more aware of all the different religious traditions and faiths in this country, it has done a, done a, hand, a ham fisted job in responding to it. Uh, and by, you know, neutering all of them instead of actually allowing for there to be a space where there can be all of them to exist. Uh, that doesn't mean that the country is making any claim that all of them are equally true or that all of them are, are represented equally across this country. And I don't even think that you like have to have like a Hanukkah and a Christmas nativity scene and a Kwanzaa set or whatever in front of a 
a courthouse, um, only that there does need to be space for those different beliefs to be expressed and represented in in this country. Well, there's even a there's even a plurality of beliefs within just like those two examples that you gave from Hill Caesar, right? Like uh, a movie that does this really well and very funny uh, is Four Christmases, which is the Vince Vaughn Reese Witherspoon movie where both both parents are divorced and so they end up having to do Four Christmases um, in a single day with all of the parents. And uh, that that movie, f- for what you want to say, is probably some of the most is probably one of the most conservative movies that's come out of Hollywood in 20 years. I mean, it is it is directly critiquing millennial hustle culture uh, and individualistic uh, conceptions of relationship and marriage and and family uh, uh, and children rearing, and they they do this with religion, uh, where they show the they go to the celebrity pastor church, this big mega sort of lights and smoke show church, and it, one of the funniest scenes I think in any Christmas movie of them doing the nativity scene in Vince Vong uh, is really hilarious in it. But then what, what people forget and what they miss is that um, in order for the, specifically Reese Witherspoon's character to understand why she's feeling this way about wanting to be married, wanting to have kids, why she needs unconditional love from her boyfriend is that that moment comes around the dinner table while they're praying. Um, so they contrast the celebrity modern conception of, of Christianity and they juxtapose it against this really intimate family oriented relationship bound Christian faith that really is, is quite good. And I think that um, we, we miss something about how Christmas is portrayed in the culture if we're not able to point out that what a lot of people's conception of what the Christian celebration of Christmas is, if we're not able to say, well, hey, that's not necessarily what everyone holds and believes, um, that there's this whole other aspect of, of Christmas as a event in the liturgical calendar that leads to other things. We need to make sure that we're, we're clear and uh, explicit about that because Without, without doing so, we might find our witness within the, the broader cultural space uh, damaged by it. Well, then let's, let's talk about this. This is something you brought up yesterday, and um, you had mentioned it earlier, and I had to cut you off because I want to talk about it now. And it is a way in which there is a legitimate, quote-unquote, war on Christmas that um, I think all of us fall prey to and allow to happen and even support and further by the way that we treat the Christmas season. And I was, uh, I was on Wikipedia looking up uh, wars on Christmas, the Christmas wars, and came across an, an article, a short essay by C.S. Lewis about it's a fake history of this country that's Britain spelled backwards. That's like a lost chapter of Herodotus's histories. And in it, it's contrasting between what's called the rush and the people who actually celebrated true Christmas. And the people who celebrated the rush in this essay um, were just hustling and exhausted and 
felt the need to buy things that they couldn't afford for people because they felt like they were going to get things that they couldn't afford. Um, they were exhausted and slept too much and drank too much because of all these pressures that were going on. And then in contrast, there were these groups that celebrated Christmas um, and they did it not through the rush and through buying all of these things and through these pressures that the fake country of Britain had put in place that they felt like they had to follow, but through a feast and through a time of rest and celebration and fullness with each other. And I think what Lewis is getting at is what you were getting at is this. Um, it's great to see you guys thinking on the same wavelength here is <laughs> this, the threat to Christmas that commercialization really does pose in that if we are so focused on presents and impressing people and Christmas cards um, and meals and baking. And these are all good things that everybody loves. And I love getting Christmas cards. I love getting baked goods. Clearly I'm a consumer here because I've not mentioned anything that I love <laughs> giving other people. But when those sap our energy to the extent where we are not able to bask in and take joy in Christmas, we have uh, missed out on something that has been given to us as a gift. Right. You know, the, our culture still maintains some uh, semblance of Christmas is a time for giving. Um, but what's interesting is that I, I feel in many ways that it's become a season of outgiving the other. And so it actually ends up becoming this sort of weird com competition of who can give the best gifts, who can give the most expensive gifts, who can, you know, we talk about, we, I think we've talked in an earlier episode about the difference between charity and philanthropy, right? Like I think Christmas has really moved into more of the category of philanthropy of who can do the biggest and best gift instead of, you know, you know, simple means of giving uh, of what you can. And I think I've seen that play itself out um, in Christmas in my lifetime. I mean, I'd be interested to know on, from your end, like, what are some of the things that you have witnessed in your time with Christmas and sort of the way that you've seen it move in different directions? Well, well, my time, I'm only three years older than you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean no. it like that. I, from a lost generation. I meant more from just your personal experience. It's, it is much different and, and richer and fuller than mine. Well, I think when I first remembered, it was my first Christmas right out of college in 2012 when um, in college, you know, it's such an awesome time where everything's so insulated and protected and you're contained right there and you're just hanging with your friends. And then graduating college, it's like all these responsibilities. Um, I have to do shopping when I'm not working. So after hours, uh, there are different commitments and even joys of Christmas parties become things that can become stressful because like there's so many to go to and so many mm -hmm. different um, events that have to be scheduled and plan that by the time Christmas comes, it's like, holy smokes, what happened? So I think, you know, it's good things that can end up too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing, I think. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, what is the solution to this? I don't know. I, is it saying RSVPing no to more things? I don't, I don't think that's right. Is it a shifting of a heart position and then expectations? Probably. Um, I mean, it might be as simple as keeping the main thing, the main thing. And that remembering of why am I going to any of these events? Why am I buying any of these presents? Why are we sending any of these Christmas cards? It's because, well, because 
God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And that's a pretty good reason to do something. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think what the, one of the best ways to show, or let's, let's say combat against, let's say one of the best ways to be a combatant in the war on Christmas in in a good way, in a, in a good faithful Christian witness, I think is just to um, embody that, that sense of hospitality. Uh, I'm thinking kind of, in some ways, kind of like the hospitality of the in, of the innkeeper of the of the or not the innkeeper, but the one who shows you know Mary and Joseph the stable and this this idea of like I don't have much, but here's what I have. And I, one thing that we've tried to do in our family is just to have really a spirit of hospitality around Christmas and inviting people into how we celebrate Christmas and to show them that way. Like we don't have a very big tree. We don't have a ton of presents underneath the the tree, um, but my wife can cook a heck of a meal, and we'd love to just invite you around the table. And I think that that has a lot to do with how faithful Christians can be good witnesses during Christmas time. Because I, I find a lot of the like, well, we don't we don't give each other gifts, we don't do this thing or that thing, you know, always tends to me to come across as more. Not that you can't do it that way and, and be faithful. I think you totally can. But it, it often comes, the way that I've seen it practiced often comes off very pharisaical, pharisaical. Um, you know, thank you, God, that I'm not like the people who give gifts at Christmas. Um, and I think you sort of, or, or the people who are like, well, we don't, we don't do Santa. Um, I think that there's, there's good places for all of that kind of stuff. I just still think that the most effective way to do it is by just demonstrating hospi- Christian hospitality. Um, and inviting people into, you know, experiencing Christmas the way that your fa- your family does it, um, I think has always been the best way, of, the best approach. Yeah, and I, as we talk about the the way that Christmas is, you know, as we as we talk about culture and society's different uh, different approaches to Christmas, different perspectives on Christmas. What is it? Why does it exist? What is it important? Is it unimportant? I think one thing that you're saying. And I think one of the things that Christians can do well as part of our mission, which, you know, Advent is a, is a turning of the mission of God. It is a new opening in God's mission to redeem the world is to show the world a better way to celebrate this. Like you're saying through hospitality, through having joy through just feasting and dining and spending time together and through singing songs, these rich, beautiful, hopeful songs. I mean, as great as I know you think Mariah Carey's Christmas album is, it will, there are no songs that will compete with the, um, the ancient Christ saturated hymns And, and even new ones. I'll say ancient future, um, faith songs that, that uh, tell of Advent and the birth of Christ. And so as we move to wrap up here, last week we did the Mount Rushmore of Christmas movies. And I, I feel pretty confident on the four that I put up that I would still stand by them. This week, top four Christmas songs. Now I'm going to say this, I'm not going to call them the Mount Rushmore of Christmas songs for me, simply because there are too many and too many yes. wonderful ones to to choose. And not to mention, they're not as much of a time commitment. And so you can sing like 30 Christmas songs in the time that you can watch one Christmas movie. So for like, sure, you know, proportion ratio, blah, blah, blah. But 
I want you to go first here. Your top four four Christmas songs, not even top four. Just give me your four Christmas songs. Okay, that's fair. I, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, I can't do a Mount Rushmore of Christmas carols or Christmas songs just because there's too many and different ones appeal to me at different times and in different settings. And so it's, it's just tough. Um, so these are my four, I'll say my personal four favorite Christmas songs or Christmas music. Three are going to be particularly Christian hymns or carols. But I did want to reserve one space for something that wasn't. Although I will make the argument, or I should say it is Christian. Um, my, my number four is, have you ever heard Reliant K's Christmas album, Let It Snow, Let It Reindeer? As a, as a child of that era of like Christian punk rock music, Reliant K was, they were our Led Zeppelin, right? Like they were, they were the ones that made it. Well, um, okay. Well, what, what about Switchfoot? I was just about to say, yes, you can lump Switchfoot in there too. But they were not quite the same sort of style. No, no, no. This, this was, K a, this was, was for a, the this Christian was a band kid. For the, this was a band for the Christian kid who loved Blink-182, but could never go to a Blink-182 concert. No. And so Reliant K became that for us. Dude, and so Billy Graham came to town when I was in like the eighth or ninth grade, and it was Jars of Clay, DC Talk, and I think Reliant K played because it was the youth night my oh, parents yeah. took me and it was me and my parents there at uh the billy graham crusade for that is i don't awesome. remember what billy graham's and i was like dude this is cool but i remember when i was a kid i got my mom bought me that christmas album and i played that thing i i, I can't even begin to tell you how many times i listened to that album i mean just all the time um and i've returned to it as an adult um when i was in college it became uh, an album that we played on in our our fraternity house uh, for, at first uh, sarcastically, and then by the end of the se- by the end of the Christmas season, uh, something we were all really into. There's some very good original songs on that album that do a very I think beautiful job of explaining faith and Christmas, especially in that unique period of your time when you're kind of on your own right out of college, you don't, maybe you're not necessarily with family all the time and that, that unique time in life where your friends are your family. And so I would highly recommend that you go listen to Relight K's Let It Snow, Let It Rain Deer. Okay, that being said, my next three are my personal favorite. They're all Christmas carols. One I mentioned earlier, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Uh, we sang that at church on Sunday. It's a very good one, highly recommend. My number two is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I think both of those appeal to me as a Presbyterian who rooted in the Old Testament because it's very much hearkening back to the prophets and then oh. pointing forward to Christ. Okay, so, seminarian. All yeah, right, so, we know you're writing a paper. On, I know, I don't know. Okay. And then the number one, it's to me, it's just it's objective. I, I don't really see how anybody argues against it, and it's joy to the world. Uh, it perfectly encapsulates everything that we want from Christmas. Joy. Um, it's got the the past, present, and the future hope in it. Um, I, I, and it's, it's this magnificent, almost royal song. I, I, I picture it being played with the trumpets and the, 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 the royal uh, red carpet is, is thrown out. And that, that's how I picture that song. And so that's why I love Joy of the World. Great choices. I have been scratching out and rewriting my list here to get to the <laughs> word that I want. 
And I'm going to wrap us up with a fifth as one that I think, you know, you have your four, I have your four, we have one together. And I'm going to assume that the one I mentioned is going to be agreed upon by you. But I have, oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, holy night is my second one. And um, the line, the soul felt its worth to me is just one of the most beautiful and poignant lines in any hymn. And then hark the herald angels sing. That's my wife's favorite. Really? Yeah. I knew I liked her. Also played on the Reliant K Christmas album. I'm just throwing it out there. A punk rock version of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I got to see this now. I have to. <laughs> I'm not giving it up. I'm, and then uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Do you picture it in sort of like a country folky yeah. version? Yeah. 100%. 100%. It's uh, simple. It uh, resonates with the average man. I like it. <laughs> they all do, of course. But And here's one that I love. This is a modern one and uh, or a modern rendition. is King's Kaleidoscope's version, All Glory Be to Christ. Huh. Uh, and it's to Auld Lang Syne, but he has his own uh, different lyrics in there. And it is, man, it is, it is beautiful. It is, uh, it's a good, it's a good song. I'll have to check that one out. That's you should, good. you should. You'll thank me for it. And I'll check out your Reliant K. So, well, anything else from you, Robert? No, that, this has been great. I think this has just been a really fun conversation about Christmas and I think has spurred in my mind a lot of things uh, as I go forward celebrating the Christmas season and, and how I can maybe see the, the ways in which the Christ in Christmas is being subverted and the ways that I can be a good witness to my neighbors in my community for a better way to celebrate the, a better way to celebrate the day, if you will. That should be our Put that on a t-shirt. Come on. No, that's the Will and Rob show tagline now. Ooh, that's a good one. Celebrate the day. We're not sure what it means. (laughs) (laughs) That's like any good tagline. It's ambiguous. Uh, Well, hey, thanks so much for listening. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter at Stockdale Will and at RD Hassler. Leave us a review, like us, follow us. And we will be back next week, which is our last episode prior to... Christmas. And so then we'll be taking a break for uh, the holidays as I make my own little personal vendetta against Christmas right there and come back after the new year. But uh, we'll talk to y'all next week.